Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time here this morning. So this month, we have been focusing on the importance of missions, and we've been highlighting different areas of Scripture speaks about it, and the command from Christ. Um, We've learned that the uh, mentality that gripped many Christians during the 18 and 1900s was wrong, and that they viewed the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, being only for the first century Christians. In truth, we learn that that command is still given to us today to preach the gospel to every creature and to every person. We also learned this month the importance of how your prayer and financial support help sustain and enable missionaries to stay and serve in their field of ministry. Because they cannot do it alone. Um, someone has to pray for them. Someone has to enables them to continue to keep on going for the Lord. So we've looked at the responsibility of those others who God called to serve. But this morning, we're going to focus on every Christian's responsibility given to them by Jesus Christ. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and then we'll dive right in. Father, we do thank you so much again, Lord, for your grace. We thank You for Your love. And Lord, we thank You for Calvary. I do pray that You would bless this morning as we look at Your Word. I pray that You'd use me, Lord, to, to speak what You want me to speak this morning. And I pray that You would help uh, someone this morning, Lord, to uh, encourage them, Lord. Um, God, that uh, the great responsibility that we have as a Christian. And Father, I do pray that if there's someone here that does not know You as their Savior, they've never been born again, God, that You would speak to their heart this morning about the need for Christ. I do thank you so much again for your love. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, So the portion that we we just looked at uh, is commonly known or part of uh, what they call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now this is, uh, you know, picture yourself here. This is not just being spoken to his 12 disciples. This isn't just to his, his disciples that he's talking to. In fact, he hasn't even chosen them yet. Um... Here, he is uh, preaching and he is teaching to all who would listen to him and to do his will. Um, So he's not just giving this command to just a couple people. This is to everybody who would follow him and follow God. Now, Jesus would often use metaphors to illustrate his word in order for it to be understood easier. Uh, So he would take things like as uh, the the verse before, you know, uh, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You know, he, he would use 
illustrations to help us understand the meaning of, of what he was teaching. Uh, oftentimes he would say, you know, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He was using these illustrations for us to understand who he is and different aspects of who he is. And the same way as he is teaching here, he is, he is using an illustration in these following verses of, so that we'd be able to easier understand what he's trying to, to, to tell us. Um, so we're, this morning we're going to take a closer look at this portion of Scripture. Now here, if you look in verse number uh, 14, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So Jesus, first of all, compares us to a city that's on a hill. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that, seen a, a city that, you know, you've been coming through the valley and all of a sudden you see this, this city sitting on a hill. Uh, this city can be seen for kilometers on end. Uh, it's, it's something that's noticed right away in the distance. And it can't be hid. And, uh, and so he begins to liken uh, everyone to that city, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, to this city. But then he goes on um, in verse number 15. He says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So he now goes on to liken his followers as being candles. And, uh, and this morning, this is where I'd like to focus uh, with this portion of Scripture. Um, and so, I have a little bit of, a, a, of an illustration here. And uh, so, uh, the, the first thing that I really kind of want to share with you as we look at what being a candle is, I'm going to show you some of the characteristics of a candle. Uh, first of all, uh, this candle had to be created, didn't it? Some Someone had to create this candle. It didn't just magically appear, did it? Uh, you know, I didn't just wave my hand and all of a sudden there's a candle. But somebody actually had to create it, had to form it. Um, someone had to make the wax and form it into the candle shape that we see here. And they also had to include the wick. Now, today, candles can be made by machines. But back in the days of Scripture, and around the time of Christ here, it took special crafters um, to make the candles. They had to take the time. They had to, to hand dip them uh, into, into the, the, um, uh, the tallow or beeswax over and over again. So they would have to, to, they would have to dip it let it dry. Once it's dried, dip it again. Once it's dry, until it got the size of what they wanted as a candle. And uh, so this was something that was very tedious and, and took a lot of time to do. And, uh, and really, it's, it was actually first introduced by the Romans in about 500 AD, or BC, sorry. And so uh, the candles weren't that popular before then. Um, but around the, the time of Christ, uh, they were introduced by the Romans here. Now, uh, the candle was designed by someone. Okay, The wax alone, if you were to just take a flame and just were to melt, you know, just to, to put underneath the flame, the wax would melt. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't catch hold. It wouldn't really burn. It would just melt. Um, so a wick had to be put in the middle 
and that is what burns. The candle wax is the fuel for the fire, while the wick slowly burns. Now, the candle wasn't made just because somebody had, you know, nothing better to do with wax. Um, you know, but the, the candle was actually designed for a specific purpose and use. No one lit candles for no reason. Now, today, you know, we've got all the scented candles and things like that. And uh, people just light them for the, the smell. But back in those days, they didn't have something like that. And actually, uh, if it was made from the tallow, they actually stunk very bad. And, uh, and so, um, but thankfully this one's a beeswax. <laughs> but um, they, weren't, they wouldn't just be lit in a room for no purpose. Because it would be seen as a waste, wouldn't it? They were designed and formed with a, a specific purpose, and that was to bring light into the darkness. You see, you and I are designed and formed for a specific purpose. You're not a mistake. In God's eyes, not a single person in this world is a mistake. Now, the world would say that you know if you're not perfect, then there's something wrong with you. But each one of us, we have strengths, we also have weaknesses. But God designed us perfectly. We are perfectly made. And when God designed us, He designed us for a purpose. See, Jeremiah 1.5 said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, granted, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. But here we see a great truth. Before Jeremiah was ever born, God said, I knew thee while you were still in the womb. I already had uh, something for you to do with your life before you were ever born. And He has the same for you and I. Uh, God knew us before we were ever born. He knew who we were. He already had a plan. He already had a... Um, Something for our life to do before we were ever born. And though we were all created differently, each one of us has our strengths and weaknesses that God can use for a purpose and to be used by Him. See, God has a plan and a will for you, and He's not hiding it from you. You know, some people think that, um, you know, God is just up there hiding what he wants life. Um, and he's not. Instead, he wants you to seek him about what he would have you do for him. This is both a daily seeking and a lifelong seeking. Uh, God wants us to seek him. He wants us to, uh, to want him, to, to, to have him in our life. I mean, can you imagine if... Uh, if he told us exactly everything that he ever wanted us to do in one moment, we would never call upon him because we know what, what is he wants us to do for every single day. Um, but instead, every, every morning that we wake up, we should ask ourselves, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Where would you have me to go? How, would, how do you want me to serve you today? Um, direct me where you want me to, to go. See, God doesn't reveal everything at once. 
Otherwise, we'd be so overwhelmed that we'd quit way before we were able to do what God wanted for our life. Uh, I remember uh, when the Lord first started burdening my heart about being a preacher. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I was the last person that I ever thought God would ever want to pick to be a preacher, to be up here. Uh, when I was in secondary school, I was the kid in the back. Um, hated speech class. I mean, I, I did not and could not really stand up in front of people and talk because I was afraid. Because um, I thought there's this this is this is uncomfortable to me, and so I would rather just sit in the back and let everybody else do the speaking. Everybody else have the limelight, so to speak. And um, and so when the Lord, after I became a Christian, um, a couple years after I had been saved, when He began to speak to my heart about being a preacher about coming up here and, and teaching others the Bible. Uh, I, I argued with God. I fought with God because I never saw myself as being able to. You know, I looked at, I looked at the Lord and said, God, you've got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I can't do this? And, um, and as the Lord kept on dealing with my heart about just coming up here and just preaching, teaching, and trusting Him, and letting Him grow me in my relationship with Him, um, I still fought Him. I fought Him. Uh, because I didn't see myself as being able to do it. I didn't think I was good enough. You know, I didn't think I had the talent or the ability to be up here and to speak. Um, and so when... The Lord would continue to deal with my heart about it. Uh, in my devotions, I was brought to Exodus chapter 2 and chapter 3. And those who know the portion of Scripture, this is where God is calling Moses to go back to Egypt. And um, all throughout those, those two chapters, Moses is giving excuse after excuse after excuse not to go back. And, uh, and one of the things that he says is, you know, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I stutter. I can't speak. And, um, and so I identify with that because I didn't think I was an eloquent speaker, so to speak, and I still am not. Um, but as I read that portion of Scripture, God finally gets upset with Moses. And, and I'm just paraphrasing it. Basically, he says, okay, Moses, then fine, I will use your brother to be my spokesman instead of you. So that's when Aaron is now picked to be the spokesman for, for God. And I looked at that portion of Scripture, and as I read it, my heart just broke. And I said, God, I don't want you to pick somebody else because I refuse to preach. Because I refuse to submit and trust you and let you guide and direct me. And, um, and so that was the turning point in my life. It really was. Because after that, I had talked with somebody in our church. He, they kind of did like a, a special um, 
Sunday school class, a teaching class for, for people who were handicapped. And, uh, and so um, I volunteered to preach. And uh, I will admit that the time that I stood up there, uh, I was shaking like a leaf. I was so nervous. I had written my entire sermon out. And all I did when I went up there is I took my, I took my sermon and I read it. I never looked up. I just read it. <laughs> and, um, and the Lord blessed and uh, and from that day, he has helped me grow. He's helped me to trust him. And I've still got a long way to learn. And even even being here the last four years has has taught me. Even my own preaching um, has has increased. Um, just taught me some new things and and how to how to be a better preacher and things like that. And uh, and so. Um, we're all created with a purpose. And you may be here to this morning saying, you know what, I can't do much. Or maybe the Lord has been speaking on your heart about doing something and say, I can't do that. Have you tried letting God direct you? Yielding yourself to God because um, there is a scripture, or there's a quote that says, where God, um, where God guides, He provides. All He wants is someone who is yielded. Someone who is is submitted to him, uh, Dr. Livingston. Yes, he was he was able to be a, a brilliant young man. I mean, able to to memorize Psalm 119 as just a teenager. I couldn't do that. I know I can't do that. My mind just can't con- contain all that, you know. But for him to to be able to quote it, and you know, one of the reasons why he did it was to get his own copy of the Bible. That was that was the reward for him being able to memorize in Sunday school Psalm 119, so he could have his very own Bible. Because at that time he didn't have his own Bible, and uh, and so that was his motivation, because he wanted to be able to read the scriptures and and spend time with God. And God took that desire, that eagerness, and He directed him to Africa. Uh, the door was closed to go to China, so he went to Africa instead, and um, and and he did some amazing things there. But through it all, he was yielded. He had a desire to serve God more than anything, and he allowed God to guide and direct him through every. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, uh, again, these are back in the days where there were no roads. I mean, he was going through jungles. He was going through areas that had had not really been touched by by most civilization. And yet, here he was, making a path, trying to find people to preach the gospel to. Um, that was his desire. And yet, we see the, some of the fruits of it today. See, the first thing, though, that God wants for every person alive. See, God has a will for people. And there's a specific will, and there's also a general will. The general will that God wants for every person is to be born again. 
That is God's desire is that everyone would trust Him as their Savior. See, Second Peter two uh, three nine says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." <clears throat> you see, God. So we, we sometimes we understand why God. Why do you let some some people live? When they should surely die, and we and we and we look at things and say, well, they don't deserve to live. Well, you and I, we've we've broken God's laws just like they have. We deserve death too. But sometimes God is a little bit more long-suffering. I'm thankful that He had grace, and and I was able to. Uh, uh, I was 17 years old when I trusted Christ. Some here are much later in years before they got saved. I mean, we ought to be thanking God that He was long-suffering to us. Um, he wants everybody to be saved. Everybody to be born again. And then afterwards, as you grow in your relationship with God, He wants you to submit and yield to His direction and guidance as He directs your life and gives you opportunities to be used. Now, when I surrendered and I finally said, okay, God, I give up. I'm not, you know, I... I, I I finally yielded to God. You know, I, I, I had a big problem with pride. And, uh, and so, um, finally humbling myself and saying, okay, God, I, I'm going to let you take control. That was hard for me to do. And, uh, and so, when I finally did, and I began to obey the Lord and, and, and follow His direction, I mean, He began to open up doors that I never thought possible. Uh, first of all, <laughs> you know, as I was in Bible college, again studying to be a pastor, um, in the middle of the night while I was at work, God began to speak to my heart about coming to Ireland. And um, when the Lord spoke to my heart about coming to Ireland, my first reaction was, okay, Lord, I'll go. But I knew absolutely nothing about Ireland. And uh, I'll be asking, like my family, you know, we claim that there's got to be some kind of Irish ancestry. I'm still trying to find it. <laughs> uh, my surname comes from here, but beyond that, I'm still trying to find the uh, the root, so to speak. And um, and so my mom, every St. Patrick's Day, would have, I mean, the whole month of March, basically, would have our house completely decorated, shamrocks, leprechauns, you name it, rainbows, everything to do that we thought was all about Ireland. Irish stuff. And so that's all I knew was about leprechauns, you know, shamrocks, a little bit about St. Patrick. I knew nothing about this country. I knew nothing about the people here. And uh, I was, I, I'll be honest with you, I was an, an ignorant American who I had no idea. And, um, and so I said, Lord, even though I don't know much, I didn't know if there was missionaries here, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know much about Ireland, but if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. And so I submitted and I said, Lord, but I just asked that you would show me through your, through your word why you want me to go. Why you want me to go to Ireland and serve you there. And, um, and then after, you know, I was counseling with some pastor friends and, and, and just and, and Christians in my life, my own parents and things like that. Um, as I just asked the Lord to show me a verse 
He brought me to Jude 22. And, and this is my life verse. It really is. Uh, and Scripture says, uh, and of some have compassion, making a difference. See, it was that verse, really, that reason why I got saved. Because after, when, well, while my sister had been going through the cancer that she had, after she had got saved and, and was attending uh, the church there, um, people would be coming by, and I mean, complete strangers, I didn't know who they were, were showing kindness to my family. Uh, they, would bring off, they would bring meals and drop off meals like, uh, for my family. I mean, I didn't know who these people were. And yet, they were showing the love of Christ so much, they were having compassion on us. And I saw that there was something different about these people. Uh, because I had went to school and, and, and uh, saw people who claimed to be Christians, but uh, they were anything but. Their lives and their testimony, uh, they were doing things that I would not even think about doing. And uh, so in, I, in, in my eyes, I saw them as hypocrites. And, uh, and, I, and I said, if that's what a Christian is, I want nothing to do with it. And so I was actually put off from Christianity. And, uh, but it was people who actually showed genuine Christianity that really opened up my heart to hear the gospel. And, um, and so God showed me that verse and I said, Lord, I understand. I understand completely. So I submitted and I yielded. And that's why we're here today, because we believe this is this where the Lord has us to be. And uh, will we be here for the rest of our lives? I have no idea. But until we do, until the Lord says otherwise, we're going to keep serving here until the Lord changes that direction. Um, so right now, I know that this is God's will for me at the moment. 20 years down the line, I have no idea. But in, as each day comes... I'm going to yield my life and submit my life to whatever purpose and design that He has for me. And that's the same for every single person here today. None of us knows what's going to happen 10 years down the road. I mean, 10 years down the road, a lot of things can happen. Things that you've never, ever dreamed happening. Both good and bad. Um, that's why we need to take each day and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And serve Him. And as you serve Him, and you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and His guidance, He'll direct your path. He'll show you which way He wants you to go. And uh, because he, all ha he has a purpose for each one of us. Now, not only was it something that was created, the candle there, but that candle is dead. I mean, there is no life uh, in that candle. It's a dead thing. There's, there's nothing in it. It's just existing. And when we were born, we were dead spiritually just as this candle is physically. This is why we need to be born again. Uh, hold your place here, but go to, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1 through 5, we're going to read together. Ephesians 2 says, And you hath he quickened, in other words, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So here, you and I, before we were ever been born again, we were dead. I mean, we were as dead in God's eyes as that that candle. But when we trusted Christ as our our Savior, the Holy Spirit quickened our spirit, and we now are become alive. Uh, Colossians two thirteen says, "And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses." I mean, He forgave you everything. And until you trust Christ as your Savior, your spirit. If you if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your as your Savior. Your spirit, that, that part of you that has a relationship, that could have a relationship with God, is dead. It's as dead as that candle. Uh, and you cannot have fellowship with God. Uh, that's why we must be born again. That's why we have to have uh, Christ as our Savior in order for us to be able to go to heaven. Now, uh, there's a transformation that takes place uh, when you do something with the candle. And uh, if you turn back to verse number 15 in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 15. So neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So, Again, the candle was created for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to be able to take a flame. Alright? Now, if this was a pitch black room, that would be the only bit of light that we would have. But because it's daylight out and lights are on, there's no way they could really (laughs) illustrate it as perfectly as that. But anyway, um, the moment that candle is lit, and once we trust Christ as our Savior... There is a change within us that occurs. Our spirit becomes quickened or revived and is indwelt by the Holy Ghost. Uh, Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? Uh, see, when the Holy Spirit, um, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, and, and dwells in us. And it's, it's like that flame on this candle. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye have also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the Holy Spirit seals us until the day that we die or until the rapture happens. Now, um, see, before this time, before the time of Christ, when, when Christ called them, the disciples were just obscure men. I mean, they were fishermen, tax collector, uh, you name it, different, different occupations that they had. 
but nobody really knew them. They, they had no reputation. Uh, they were of low estate, so to speak. Um, but when they submitted their heart to the Lord, that's when God made them great men that God used to turn the world upside down and boldly risked their lives to preach the gospel to others. I mean, can you uh, think about it? He would take a lowly fisherman who was rough around the edges, who oftentimes spoke before he thought the things through, and he would take someone like that and he would use him to be a minister to the Jews who were knowledgeable in the Scriptures, uh, who were more accustomed to uh, how the Pharisees and things like that lived their life. You know, they, they wanted the, uh, the show and the esteem. And yet he would take a rough fisherman to minister to the Jews. And yet he would then take a man like Paul, who was of the Pharisees, who was learned, who was a man of, of knowledge in the Scriptures, and then he would send him to the Gentiles. Someone, you know, and, and he would meet different cultures and different people. You think, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to send the person who's, you know, maybe a little bit more rough around the edges to these places where um, might be a little bit more rough to go? But he didn't. God used these men because they were submitted. Because they wanted God to do something with them. And as the wax is being burned, whenever you light a candle, it's a good reminder that we have limited time on this earth. And as our life burns, the length decreases of what we have left to live. So let me encourage you this morning to live out the remainder of our lives serving the Lord. Now, I want to look at the kind of the illustration examine. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, if you look here, it says here, Our light cannot be hid, though we may try to hide being a born-again Christian. Uh, when my, my sister first got saved, when she trusted Christ as her Savior, when she came home, I noticed immediately there was something different about her. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what happened. I just knew that there was something that changed in my sister. Um, now, she didn't just radically change and become you know, a super spiritual person. But when she came home, there was a difference. I could tell that something had happened. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, there's a change that happens in us that is evident. It can't be hid. As much as we try to hide it, it can't be hid. So when we trusted Christ as our Savior, did God take us to heaven instantly? No. It's because He wants us to, wants to use us to be able to tell others about salvation and not to just keep it to ourselves. Um... Someone has to tell somebody. Would it not be a complete waste of a candle just to light it and hide it away so that no one could see and benefit from the light that it brings forth? 
I mean, you you wouldn't just light a candle and just leave it there. It'd be a complete waste, wouldn't it? So is the same for a Christian and the new life that God gives them. Are you doing anything for the Lord now? Or are you wasting what God has given you? You see, the candle gives light, first of all, to all that are in the house. You know, the first people that are going to notice something different about you is those that live that you live with. Those who are around you. They're going to notice that there's something different about you first. But look at verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here we see the impact of having a good testimony that the gospel has done in your life. That's why we need to share it and preach the gospel. But not only just preach and share it, but we also have to live it. Your walk talks far, far louder than your talk talks. Let me try to repeat that again without getting tongue-tied. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, you can talk like a Christian, but people are going to see, does your life reflect what is a Christian? That's what they're going to listen to more than just what you speak. And we can, you know, we can try to, to talk like a Christian and, and, and sound godly, but if our life lives the exact opposite, people are going to listen to that rather than whatever you may tell them. That's why it's so important to have a good testimony. Uh, you see, Ephesians 5.8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness. That's the truth, isn't it? But now are ye light in the world. And here's the, the, the command. Walk as children of light. That's something that is continual. That's a present tense verb. Walk. In other words, every single day we're to walk as a child of light. And that's the difficult part, isn't it? Because we still battle this, 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 the flesh of ours. That's why it's so important that we have a good testimony. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. One of the things that shows a, a Christian that uh, is different than the world, we don't murmur and we don't dispute over pointless things. That we may be blameless and harmless to sons of God without rebuke. I mean, there's we all live in <laughs> a crooked nation. There's No nation in this earth is perfect. No nation ever will be. And as crooked and as perverse as it becomes, that's why we are supposed to um, to shine more and more as these lights. Now, how you live your life should be an example of others of what a real Christian is and how they act. It darkens your light when you partake of the sins of the world with others and it actually gives God a bad reputation. So how we live our life reflects on what goes on. If you want to live a life of sin, 
all you're showing to the world is this is you know you're, you're showing that God isn't worth living for. That your salvation, you you, it's you is just cheap. The blood that was shed on Calvary wasn't priceless. That's why you and I need to have a good testimony. So how we live our life should be an example of others of what a real Christian is and how they act. See, to the world, a Christian who acts like someone in the world is a hypocrite. That's how I saw people when I was going to school with them. I saw them as a hypocrite. Going to the pub and drinking alcohol with your friends will not win them to Christ. As much as you're talking about the Gospel and and trying to be a witness to them at the pub over a couple of drinks, they're not going to listen because they're seeing a hypocrite. See, it makes you a hypocrite in their eyes. How's your language when among your co-workers and friends? Is it filthy and unbecoming of a Christian? Do not be surprised they will not listen to you when you tell them the Gospel. See, there's a lot about our life that, you know, everyone's watching. You see, the world has an idea of what Christians are to be. How they're supposed to act. How they're supposed to talk. How they're supposed to dress. And different things like that. And so when we don't do those things, they automatically brand you as a hypocrite. Because sometimes, to some degrees, we are. Because we know that we're not doing right and that we should be doing the things of God. Now, though you do have a choice to do whatever you want, there are consequences for all actions. But remember, if you are saved, you have been bought with a price and you are no longer just your own. You're a child of God and that comes with some great responsibilities and commitments. You see, the candle burns before men. Not in private areas where no one's in. I mean, you wouldn't just light a candle and go in, you know, into a room and then just never go into the room. You know, you'd leave the room and it would just burn there. There'd be no waste, wouldn't there? The reason why a candle is lit is so that people can see. Um, isn't that true? You know, you, you, know, you uh, go in a room, you leave the light on. How many times you, at least I was as a kid, turn the light off when you leave the room, you know? You don't leave the light on because there's no point in having the light on, right? Same thing with a candle. When you, you know, just imagine before electricity days, you wouldn't go in there, light a candle, leave the room, and nobody in the room. There was no point for it. See, character is defined as what you do and who you are when no one's looking. Do they match up? Or are you different in your private life compared to what others see? See, we're to let our lights shine. And not just in our own home, but all over the world, which is commanded by Christ in Acts 1.8, which says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Um, now those about us must not only hear our good words, but they also need to see our good works, that they may be convinced that religion is more than just a bare name. And that we do not only make a profession of it, but abide under the power of it. Um, there's something different when, a, when actually a, a person uh, lives for God compared 
uh, to those who are just in name only. There's power there. The reason being is that those who see our good works may be brought not to glorify you, but to glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when you and I serve the Lord together and see others get saved, the light shines even brighter than just by itself. Now, um, as we see more people get saved, more lights become lit. And as Christianity and as, as people start to, to live for God, amazing thing kind of happens when you all serve God together. The flame gets far greater and far brighter. That's why it's so important that we serve the Lord together. Because that will make a brighter light now, we're all supposed to be those lights. But that's why it's so important that we serve God together. Because that's when the flame can truly be seen even brighter than in our own homes. Now, in conclusion this morning, we're all given the great commission and to be lights of this world. It's a great responsibility. And that's why God wants us to work together to reach people. But can I ask you this morning, are you saved this morning? Have you been born again? Or are you as dead as these candles before me? And if you are saved, how are you doing with your light? Are you hiding it under a bushel? Are you a secret Christian when it comes to your family, your friends, and your co-workers? Now, I thought about bringing a basket in here, but I didn't want to risk catching that fire. <laughs> so I really kind of didn't want to, to bring that in here as an illustration. But as you look at the picture here, are you like that 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 picture that's kind of to, to blind out the light? Are you hiding underneath that bushel, that basket? See, when we show forth the light of the gospel in our in preaching and our daily habits, it brings glory to God. Can I ask you this morning: Are you bringing God glory, or are you giving Him a bad name because of your testimony? Your actions and what you say represents God in all that you do. Now, don't be afraid to let your light shine. There may come a time, and you may go places where it's restricted to preach the gospel, but what you do and how you, can, how you act can preach louder than any words when they see you behaving like a Christian. You may ask, well, how does a Christian behave? Well, that's why God gave us this book. This is how we're supposed to learn what a Christian is, how a Christian is supposed to act, how they're supposed to think, what they're supposed to do. As you read that book and you yield your will to the Holy Spirit, He will guide and direct you. The world has completely redefined the word Christian. Uh, you know, Now all a Christian is is someone who uh, feeds the poor, takes care of the homeless, and those are good things in themselves to do, that's not what Christianity is all about. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is about following Jesus Christ and being His disciple in all things and areas of life, both private and public. 
See, the world has redefined what a Christian is and why no one takes Christianity seriously anymore. So I just want to ask you this morning, how's your light shining? Has it kind of grown a little darker recently? Have you kind of not been maybe as, a, as great of a witness as you used to be? Are you hiding under a bushel? Or are you allowing the Lord to use you and to, to be a, a light in school, a light in your, in your workplace? Uh, because if you don't shine, nobody else will. And when you start to shine, you'd be surprised at how much you'll encourage maybe some others who are hiding under their bushels. And it'll help them to be a greater light as well. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and we'll finish with a hymn. Father, we do thank you again, Lord, for this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this message this morning. Lord, there's so many different applications that could be made with just little, these little few verses, Lord. And um, I just pray as we look at the candle this morning, it, Lord, you and I are just like, we're just that, that candle, God. We were dead before you came into our life and, and we trusted you as our Savior. And when that Holy Spirit came in, Lord, it, it lit us up and enabled us to be able to serve you, to, uh, to worship you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, I do pray that as uh, as our candle burns down with our life, God, that our life would be something that would be pleasing to you. God, that would be a good testimony to you. That we would show our light uh, to this world, to this generation, Lord, that God, that you still live, that you have, um, that you're still in control, and that you still forgive as well, and that you want to save people from their sin. And I just pray that you'd help us to be that, that, that light, that witness. And God, that you would uh, just strengthen us and encourage us this morning. Father, I do thank you again so much that, uh, uh, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, and, and just your direction that, that you give every single person in this room. And I just pray that you'd help us to yield to that and that we would desire to put you first in our life and allow our light to shine. And Father, we do thank you so much. For all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.